Well, as we continue in this, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak real briefly about what we covered last week. We started talking about this idea of reconciled relationships. And another word for reconciled is forgiveness. And the idea or the concept that maybe, just maybe, some of us might have a little bit of a conflict with someone else on this earth. I know that really is a stretch in this building. But on the outside chance that that's going on in your life, we thought we would look at the biblical principles and the God-given principles that can help us overcome those conflicts and that separation in relationship. Remember, we're talking about real relationships. Real relationships have these four components, at least these four. I made them up, so, you know, there might be others. But number one, that your relationship is rewarding. Number two, that you're engaged in relationship. Number three, that you are authentic in that relationship. And most of that is all fed because you are loving in that relationship. If you look at your relationships and you say, I I really don't have real relationships. And some of those, I wouldn't even call them relationships, but I wish I did. Then this morning I, I plead with you, pay close attention to what God has in this concept of reconciliation. Our scripture, our theme scripture for the entire year is focused on this. Verse 18 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says, All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So last week we talked about what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not a feeling. Right? Forgiveness is not a feeling. And that's probably the one I struggled with the most. I'm like, wait a minute, when I truly get this sense of forgiveness happening, I definitely feel differently. Well, that's an outcome of forgiveness. But here's the trapping of saying that forgiveness is a feeling. Much of the time you go through these principles of forgiveness, and yet we struggle with our flesh, don't we? And maybe that feeling of relief and security and love doesn't come flooding upon us right away. Does that then mean that there was no forgiveness? No. And that's one of the predicated reasons as to why forgiveness can't be seen as a feeling. There's a beautiful feeling as a result of forgiveness, but don't don't supplant the one for the other. Secondly, forgiveness is not forgetting, right? We talked about how Gary and his boys from the East Coast, you know, forget about it, right? That that's not forgiveness. How many of us, you know, don't raise your hands, but how many of us that that is a... You see my hand, I'm acting like I'm scratching my head, my head but it's kind of halfway going up there. But for us, the idea of forgiving is just to not mention it, right? That's easier, isn't it? You guys have heard the whole fight and flight thing, right? So forgiveness is not forgetting as well. You can't have true forgiveness... You can't have reconciliation in your relationship unless you deal with these things. So it's not forgetting, and it's, it's not excusing. Have you ever met the excuser? I think today we call that, let's see, it's not codependency. What is the other term there? Oh, an enabler. Thank you for enabling me to remember that. I appreciate that. That was beautiful. I didn't think that was going to work, but you did a great job at that. Thank you. Yes, an enabler. How many of you are enablers? Oh, he really didn't mean it. You know. (laughs) Your kid's out on the playground in a week at school, brand new into kindergarten. And some kid comes up and just starts trying to scratch his eyes out. You have that parent conference. He didn't mean it. 
You want to see the Kaiser bills? I don't care if he meant it or not. Okay? Forgiveness is not excusing. It's not excusing. So we talked about four promises that you can work on. We gave you some, some practical help. Four promises, and I'm, I'm getting some of this information from Ken Sandy's The Peacemaker. I highly recommend that you pick up that book. Uh, these four promises are, number one, I'm not going to dwell on the incident. Now, does that mean that we, now we're forgetting, right? You say, Pastor, you told me that we, you know, forgiveness is not forgetting. Well, I'm not going to dwell. No, the idea is that as you're moving through forgiveness, you are not going to hold on to it, right? I'm not going to dwell on this anymore because it's stealing away. That's one of the insipid problems of conflict and sin. So I have to make the conscious choice not to dwell on it too. I will not bring up this incident again and again and again and use it against you. You know, some of you are so good at that. All you have to do is give a certain look or a certain, certain signal to remind your friend, your partner, your family member of that horrible thing that they did against you. You don't even have to say it. You don't have to speak it. You just... Number two. Remember it. Number three. I will not talk to others about this incident. Oh my goodness. The conversations I hear at Starbucks. I've stopped going in. I have to go through the drive-thru from now on. And even, even in the drive-thru I can hear conversations. Right? Bluetooth is not your friend. All right? They'll, they'll, they'll hack you and they'll hear everything that you're saying. Be careful. Even in your moment of frustration or anger, you share that and then there's reconciliation. Guess what all of those people are going to think about your friend or your, your partner, your wife, your spouse, your husband, your children? Right now, my children are saying, Amen, so stop sharing about us. Number four, I will not let this incident stand between us or hinder our personal relationship. Well, is this excusing? No. No, this is an intentional determination to say, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. Or if the person has come to you and truly repented and confessed and asked for forgiveness, it's time to move on. It's time to let go of it. It's time to let go of the old and focus on the new, just like Christ does. Amen? Thank God that Christ practices these things with us. And that's our model for forgiveness. So this morning we also talked, or last, last Sunday morning we talked about when you should forgive. Small offenses. Overlook them. Let them go. Stop being so, you know, uptight about certain things. Love overlooks a multitude of wrongs, okay? But when it becomes too much, right? What do you do then? Well, when it's too great to overlook, you've got to deal with it. And there's a couple ways that you can deal with it. Number one, have an attitude of forgiveness. And this is the passage, Luke 23. It says, Father, forgive them for they know, what, know not what they do. And this speaks to that first promise. It's not conditional on those around them. Nobody, nobody be, below Christ or before Christ said, uh, excuse me, I really need to confess that I threw that spear into your side. Could you forgive me? Those words were not uttered. I really need to confess that and, and repent from smashing those thorns down upon your head or, or driving those nails into your wrists or me in the 21st century sinning, which in effect was me driving those nails through your wrists. 
causing you to go on that cross. That didn't happen. And yet, Christ said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. So we need to take that kind of an attitude of forgiveness. Second of all, during the process of granting forgiveness, if you come together seeking reconciliation with somebody and you're practicing these steps that we're going to be even talking about today, then you need to forgive. Luke 17 talks about the, 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 the wicked servant that owed so much, but it was forgiven to him. Then he turned around and he, what? He grabbed somebody who owed him something and wanted to throw him in jail. You know, the challenge is that we have to practice promises two through four as well. And we, that's where repentance is involved. So when should we forgive? Continually. But it's more connected to the processes. Yesterday I went to pick up my son. Uh, he was on a 10-day trip uh, vacation down in SoCal. And it was, an, it, it was an interesting thing that, you know, we went ahead and got his ticket. Before he left, he took the train home. Um, old school, and uh, took the train home, and we purchased the ticket, and I emailed him the ticket, and you know, it's because of that that he had the freedom to get home. Now, he paid me for the ticket, I think, I hope, I know, no, he, I'm sure he paid me for the ticket, and it was just a great, great thing, because, and this is a picture, if you will, a picture of reconciliation. That as I was going down 680, getting ready to get off on Marina to go into Martinez, I saw Amtrak coming right by the refinery and I knew my son was on that train. But we weren't reconciled. We weren't brought back together yet. But the ticket had already been paid. We were in process. And so as, as uh, I got off, I turned and I wound down Marina and I could see the train one more time and I knew that he was on that train and we were getting closer because the ticket had been paid. And so then as I arrived at the station, and he was disembarking from the train. There was my son. And he was brought to me because why? The ticket had been paid. That's what Christ did for us. And because of that, there was a reconciliation between my son and I from ten days of separation. And there was great joy in my heart because of it. So much so that we went to Jack in the Box and celebrated and now I have something else in my heart called cholesterol. <laughs> How many of you see those lemons and your salivary glands like right there, right there? They're going, right? None of you? Oh, man, I really tried to get that, that to happen for you here. How many of you just love just sucking on a raw lemon? Anybody? There are you weirdos. I'm sorry, you blessed people out there. Yes, there are a few of you out there. Now, folks, today we're talking about making lemonade out of lemons, the challenge of forgiveness. And we would look at lemons and most of us would say, I'm not going to suck on that. There's no redeeming quality to it. I'm not going to humble myself and seek forgiveness because there's nothing in it for me but pain and misery. Does that sound familiar? Wednesday night we had a supper eight, which I think was actually a supper ten. It was fantastic. It was a little hot. A little hot out there, wasn't it, Keith? A little hot out on my back porch, and I knew it would be hot, so I made lemonade. I ended up making six jugs of lemonade. I kept going back into the house and bringing out ice-cold lemonade, and it just kept getting sucked down more and more. If I had a bowl of sliced lemons, I don't think anybody would be eating them and getting refreshed. But isn't it fascinating to just take that thing and put it in the right context? 
and your entire attitude changes. You see, this is the idea of reconciliation and forgiveness. That on the front side, we look at it and we say, that's too hard. That is not going to taste good. That's going to hurt a little bit. And so we're willing to go without. And yet, if you can take that conflict, if you can use the biblical principles, if you can mix it with what Christ has, and the forgiveness that's there, and practice that, you get refreshment. You get lemonade. So let's see how we get that this morning, shall we? I'm going to uh, ask that, Dave, let's see if we can do this. I know I went into the thing here, but I have a video for you that's a, uh, a, a great message. On June 9th of 1997, it was a Monday, um, between 4 and 5 o'clock in the afternoon, got off early that day and I used to love going down to the, the bluffs over the Mississippi River. Decided to sunbathe, laying on a towel, and you know when you've had your eyes closed and it's a really sunny day and you first open them, it takes your eyes a while to adjust. All I could see in front of me as my eyes slowly adjusted was the figure of a man. Uh, his shadow over the top of me. He'd been stalking me. Um, he had a mask on. That was the only thing that, that he was wearing. I mean, the next thing I knew, he was on top of me. And I screamed, and he wasn't expecting that. He tried to run, and I'm not sure why to this day, but I decided to chase him. I turned into that girl that runs up the stairs instead of out the front door in those movies where you're like, go out the front door. That's when I realized I could die. I turned and ran and I went in the opposite direction. I like to say that I survived that day, but that day was the beginning of a slow, long death. I think that I, I wanted to be living, but I knew that I wasn't. It was kind of this thing that my family didn't talk about. You know, six months later, I was called in for a lineup, and I mean, it was something that didn't necessarily go away right away, but it wasn't discussed. And uh, because of my lack of support system and family, um, I was left to fend for myself. And I had a lot of anger and bitterness, um, and I was suicidal. And as the drinking got worse to cope or the drugs got worse, the more desperately I wanted to be free of all of that. And I got to the point where I realized I didn't want to die. I just didn't want to hurt anymore. I was ready to be free and I made a decision to forgive. Not just forgiving him, forgiving my parents and even better forgiving myself for a lot of things and when I chose to let go of that pain and that bitterness and that anger and that frustration I got something far greater in return you can't buy you can't box 
restores and he redeems and in a very tangible way blotted out that day with something so much greater. Last year on June 10th, I gave birth to my twin boys, Bennett and Avery, on a Monday as well, between four and five in the afternoon. So it was almost exactly 17 years later. I don't think the timing was an accident. That date and that day and that hour, they used to own me. Not anymore. Something else owns me now. Two little people. And I love it. But I also love what God has created. Something so beautiful out of something so ugly. It just blows me away on a daily basis. I love it. That message and that video of this wonderful, wonderful gal and the transfer of pain, the change of a date, right? Did you hear that? There was a day that owned her and that God took that day and turned it from something that was painful. He didn't have to do it that way. And sometimes he doesn't do it that way. But he took the day that represented the pain and he brought joy into that anniversary date so she no longer had to be haunted by what she had gone through. We're going to talk about this this morning because I know for many of us, we struggle with those challenges. We may have dates, we may have offenses, we may have things and we're saying, how do we move through it? We're going to talk about what she came to understand. And let me read to you our main text. We're going to be borrowing all from it over these next two weeks. We're going to be doing a third series or third sermon on the series. And we're in Romans 12:9. And these are concepts, these are principles that help the idea of reconciliation. It helps that concept of unity with each other. Listen carefully. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil or hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. <clears throat> Excuse me, and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. All strong points to help us with the concept, the, the, the desperate need for reconciliation. So this morning we want to deal with reality. We want, we're talking about being real in our relationships. And 
So I, I thought this concept of consequence and forgiveness is something we should touch on for a moment. Because maybe a misconception about forgiveness is that if you go through these steps that Pastor Jeremy's laying out from Scripture, that you can just completely move on. Do you think the young lady in the video remembers? Obviously she does. She just gave a testimony to it, even though she's given birth. That there are still scars for her. Right? There are still scars. There are still consequences. So Pastor Jeremy, how is this supposed to help? And, and should I expect there to still be consequences even if forgiveness is granted? Have you met the person that says, wait, wait, you can't touch me. I've been forgiven. Can't hold that against me. What do you do with that? Let's look at it this morning. So the concept this morning is forgiveness and consequence. And here's a question. Because I am forgiven, I am free of consequences? No. Moses did a great job. Heralded as one of the best leaders in all of Scripture. God's man. And yet he made a mistake. He made a transgression. And did he confess that transgression to the Lord? Yes, but it, because of that, the consequence to that was he didn't get to enter into the promised land. There was a consequence even though he was forgiven. David. David is God's man, God's righteous man, and yet because of his sin with Bathsheba, the consequences then affected his entire family, even to the point where one of his sons was coming after him. And the household of David was a mockery as a consequence to David's sin. And on and on it goes with Israel. So the reality is, is the Bible teaches us that forgiveness happens... And restoration happens and reconciliation happens, but sin's mark can still have an effect, can't it? Or you could answer yes. Yes. Consequences can be eradicated. The man of sorrows in the Corinthian church. Let's turn there, if you will. Turn to Romans. I'm sorry, I'm looking at Romans. Turn to 2 Corinthians <coughs> chapter 2. And we'll look at these verses, verses 5 through 7. And what had happened is, even in the first Corinthian church, there was mention of a heinous sin that was happening. We don't know for sure that this is addressing that, but it might be. What we do know for sure is that there was somebody who was caught in sin, and that it was dealt with, it was brought up, they were rebuked, and it certainly seems that there is repentance. But Paul is concerned about the fragility of this person's soul, that the church not beat him up. And so what does he say? Now, if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely to all of you. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. So you should rather turn to what? Forgive and comfort him. Or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for Him. For this is why I wrote that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. So yes, the consequences of the separation and the sorrow that someone goes through within a church body because of a sin that affects the entire church body. I remember a gentleman that had committed 
a very public and horrible, horrible sin at a church that I served at down in Southern California to the point where it was all over the news. And before it became public, uh, it was made known to me by a family member. And I asked this gentleman to come into my office and I confronted him on the issue knowing that there would be safety protocols put into place. And within two hours, daughter was removed from his house. I'll let you connect the dots. He went to prison. But what he told me in that office that day was he just flat out lied and said, no, 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 there's nothing to this. When in fact there was. He was restored and reconciled in relationship at our church. Boy, that's a hard one. That is a hard one. But I couldn't have been more proud of our church. And one of the reasons that they that he was restored is he came into church leadership, of which I was not the pastor, I was an associate pastor, but the very first thing he did was he stopped the process and he said, the first thing I have to do, and he turned to me and he looked me in the eyes, as he said, I have to confess to you that I lied to you that day. And I'm asking if you would please forgive me because it has haunted me this entire time. No, that's a sign of true repentance. And I would hope that our church would demonstrate that example. And his family was accepted. He was accepted. We were very careful. We were wise. We were discerning about what we did. But our church looked at this individual through the eyes of Christ and through forgiveness. And it reminded me of this passage. So, free from consequences for this particular person, not free from all consequences, but disfellowship from the church? Absolutely. So yes, there are moments where you can be freed from consequences of a sin or a conflict or whatever that would be. Sometimes there isn't a way to eradicate all the consequences. But let's break this down. Let me give you some further understanding. When do you exact mercy versus justice? Well, Romans twelve fourteen through 21, let's turn back there. This is our main passage. Uh, gives us an idea of this. Gives us some very specific understanding to how do we do this. <coughs> Excuse me. Paul says this, in order to strike a bond of unity, he says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So the question is, when do you exact mercy versus justice? Your answers are there. Number one, you've got to be careful not to be overcome by evil yourself. So if I want to exact justice on certain occasions, 
And I want to make sure that this person has paid for what they've done to me or maybe even to others. That's when my real true sense of my cape goes up. I, it flips off the back and my super J cape of justice flies proudly. And man, do I want to protect my sheep. And yet, if what wells up inside of me is anger, if what wells up inside of me is a desire for hurt to come to this individual, guess what? No. Now I'm, I've, I've gone the wrong way. Now I've crossed over a line. So now I know that, hey, I need to leave this to the Lord to handle those consequences. Let the Lord deal with those consequences. What have I been asked to do? Bless and not persecute. Leave it to the Lord to deal with. As long as we've gone through the forgiveness process. Remember, that's what we're talking about. That we've gone through the forgiveness process already. But what about the consequences? It's not for me to deal out the consequences. Necessarily. Now, there are times where maybe we do need to exact some consequences. So number one, I need to be careful not to be overcome by evil. And number two, I need to leave the vengeance up to God. What if I'm the guilty party? Now, we've been thinking about somebody else, right? We've been thinking about others who have hurt us, offended us, taken something from us, scarred us, right? But what if I'm the one that has done that to someone else? Well, in Christ, you're meant for freedom. Now, what does this mean? Pastor Jeremy, where are you, where are you going with this? It's the simple idea that are you beating yourself up with guilt? Because for some reason, you're responsible for someone's pain. And you can't take that pain away. And so you define yourself this way through guilt. Galatians 5.1 says, In Christ you have been set free. So therefore no longer submit yourself to the shackles of bondage. Stop going back there. It's for Christ to take care of. It's for Christ to free up that individual and to help them pass. And... Christ is there to free you. Be careful. Be careful if you're the guilty party. Just make sure that you go through the process of repentance and pursuing forgiveness. Let God do the healing because you can't. Let God do the healing in the other person. Just be faithful to be who He asks you to be. And He'll do the healing for both parts. Scars remind us of what we've been set free from. So you heard me say this a while ago, that we live in a society that wants to avoid scars, right? That, that we, we want to put helmets on. We want to, you know, if pretty soon our government would have all of you sitting in a, in a strap safety seat in your car. Okay? Now, you know, they make uh, seat belts with airbags now. Pretty soon they're going to make an airbag that you have to walk in to just to get to your car. I figure because we're so worried about getting hurt. You know, sometimes it's the scars that help us remember so that we don't suffer later. Correct? But a scar that represents a consequence from a bad choice or a conflict doesn't necessarily mean a bad thing. Remember the date for this young lady in June used to hold power over her, right? That date now has a completely different meaning for her. And that's what can happen through Christ. Is that 
Remember the words of, of Joseph. You meant it for evil, but what? God meant it what? For good. That God is working and God can make things come together for good. And what seems to be a scar of a horrible consequence can in fact end up turning into something that can grow us, can help others, and can mature us and teach us about suffering like Christ suffered. So this morning, there's three passages that I want to show you. And and remember, this is making lemonade. Right? Nobody got lemonade from a lemon unless they put the squeeze on. Okay? You just imagine a little lemon. No, no, don't squeeze me. That hurts. Ah. Right? That's kind of how we are. Don't squeeze me, Jesus. Because it's going to hurt. But you know what? Christ makes lemonade out of lemons through reconciliation. Let's look at these passages. Romans 5, 1-5. through 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Now here's where we really garner some things. Not only that, but we rejoice in our what? Sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces what? Endurance. And endurance produces what? Character. And character produces hope. You're not going to get lemonade unless you squeeze the lemon. So folks, part of what we need to understand in this, in this conflict between forgiveness and consequences, we think forgiveness just eradicates consequences. You know, there are moments where consequences are part of the process to get to the lemonade. But let us not invoke consequences for the sake of invoking wrath upon the person who we just forgave. We get it? That's that's the point here. And that's something that we've got to wrestle with, we've got to struggle with. Let's move, uh, oh, and then Romans 8.26-28 through speaks to this idea that, you know, the Spirit will help us in that weakness. You're not going to be able to do it in your own strength. So if you're walking by the Spirit, you make that conscious choice to walk by the Spirit on a daily basis and not in your flesh, you can do this. You remember the story about Corey Ten Boom I told you last, last week? A gal who, her and her sister Betsy, had been interned into the camps of the Holocaust. And she started to tour after World War II. She started to tour and speak about uh, her time and how God sustained her. Even though Betsy passed away, God sustained Corey. And at the end of the very first time she spoke in Germany was an SS officer that was at the very first camp that they were both at. And he walked up to her and he extended his hand and he said that was a beautiful message of forgiveness. Thank you for such a sinner as me. And she went to raise her hand and she couldn't do it. And she prayed, Lord, please help me. And she couldn't do it. She prayed a second time, Lord, Please help me. I know this is what you would have me do. I just preached on it. She couldn't do it. How many of you would have kept praying? She prayed a third time. And her hand raised, not in her strength, but in the strength of the Holy Spirit. And she shook the hand of her persecutor. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Right? She shook his hand and she said she felt a surge of electricity go through her arm. That she'd never felt anything like that before. She didn't do it in her own strength. You will not be able to do this in your own strength. 
So walk by the Spirit. Set, or third, 2 Corinthians 4, Paul talks about suffering and he gives a great insight here. He says, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, scars, consequences, trials, sufferings. But what does he say he looks to? He looks to the things that are unseen or that are eternal. And when we have that focus and that mindset, my friends, we have conquered this idea of the the comparison game or the marriage between forgiveness and consequences. Let God do the avenging. You be faithful to be God's servant. Second point. That means we're here for another hour. No, I'm just kidding. Please, forgive me. Let's reconcile. This is going to go fast, so write it down. Now, you take these principles and you say, I believe in reconciliation. I know that Christ is reconciling us. And you're going to see this in a moment in our, in our theme scripture. We're going to read one verse past the, the 2 Corinthians 5.19. That Jesus demonstrates it. We said it in the Lord's Prayer, right? We said, Father, forgive us our debts as what? That's a dangerous prayer. And if you said it today, this is so manipulative. You own it, okay? So practice it. Number one, you need to confirm repentance. What are we talking about? Overcoming unforgiveness. When, when you're saying, okay, pastor, I've heard all the things you've been talking about. Those are great things. I, I believe that they're biblical. I believe I'm supposed to do those things. I believe that I'm supposed to leave it up to God. I'm supposed to bless those who persecute me. I'm supposed to be authentic in my love. I get all of that, but you don't know how bad it is. That's why we're coming to this point. Because we knew you'd get here. So, if you're that person, and you're still struggling with the unforgiveness issue, number one, confirm repentance. What do we mean by that? That part of the process of true forgiveness when it, there's a conflict or a sin or an offense between two people is coming together. When it gets to a point where it's so overwhelming and you can't overlook it, right? You come together and you own what you own. You repent from what you did. You confess and you repent from what you did as an offense to your brother or sister. Now sometimes it looks like this. Here I go again. Last week it was Marianne. This week, I'm not going to pick on anybody. Okay. Whew, everybody's breathing now. Uh, sometimes, maybe we go to an individual that we have offended, who is invisible here on my right. But you put in that person, you have somebody probably. And you run this way. Forget about it. Oh yeah, pastor said that's not real forgiveness. You really don't know any better. <laughs> you ever done that? You can't help yourself. Okay? No, I can't do that. No excuses. Alright, so I, I, I come in and, and, and I, I say, you know, you hurt me. And it was hard. It was hard what you did. And that person says, oh, I'm so sorry. I never meant to hurt you. Please forgive me. Whew, we're reconciled, right? For some of us, maybe. But for some of us, no. 
For some of us, we need to hear the specifics. So I'll put myself over here now. I'm sorry, how did I hurt you? What did I do? For the sake of not appearing schizophrenic, I'm not going to play both parts here. I don't have the time. But I find out that I said something as part of an indirect conversation that besmirched their reputation. So say, I never meant to do that. I lost focus on what I was trying to say. I don't believe that about you. I was hurt about this other thing. I overstepped what I should have said. I sinned against you. I shouldn't have been saying those things to another person about you. I should have come to you first. You see what I'm doing? Will you forgive that? It's like going to a a marriage altar and it's time for the vows and you say, No, I do. Right? Do you get that? I'm not going to give you any specifics. I'm just going to say I do. (laughs) Are you nervous? Would you like some specifics? I do. I want some specifics. See, that's that idea of confirming the repentance. And sometimes when you go through a forgiveness process or reconciliation process, and that is left out and it's just the pleasantries of, oh, I'm sorry I hurt your feelings. Would you please forgive me? We fall short. And that's why there's still something there. There's still a barrier there. So think about that. Number one, confirm repentance. Number two, renounce sinful attitudes and expectations. Romans twelve sixteen says what? It says, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. So renounce sinful attitudes and expectations. You have to practice humility because chances are that you own something in this. But chances are you're not going to want to admit that. Because all we can focus on, right, is the, what the other person did. So make it a discipline as part of, if you're stuck, if you're stuck and you cannot forgive the person, start going through your own closet and saying, is there something else that I own? And deal with it. Make it the priority to be at harmony with someone. Okay? Number three, assess your contribution to the problems. Romans 12.20 To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. What, What does that have to do with assess your contribution to the problem? Much of the time, the reason we have a contribution to the problem is that we're not trying to bless. If I'm trying to bless my brother Joel here, I can't be offending him unless, you know, I I give him an angel's jersey. Then I'm offending him. Diehard Red Sox fan. You know, and some of us do that, right? Well, I love the angels, so I think everybody would want an angel's jersey. So I'm going to give him the present I would want. Right? Sometimes we have to focus on blessing somebody else the way they need to be blessed. And then what are we not doing? We're not remaining in conflict, a conflict with them. Okay, We're assessing our contribution to the problem. Fourth, recognize that God is working for good. Philippians 2.13 says this. Well, actually back it up. Assess your own contribution to the problem. Philippians 2.12 says... Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, 13 says, For it is God that wills and works in you according to His good pleasure. 
For God is working through all of these circumstances. We've got to tap into that. Even if it is suffering, even if it is difficult. If you're stuck and you can't get into this process of forgiveness and you want to harbor that bitterness, start attending to your salvation, your faith with fear and trembling because God isn't going to let you hold in that pattern and let you enjoy it. You're treading down some very dangerous ice. So start to approach it with fear and trembling and then realize, hey, as I go through this step of forgiveness, God's at work. God's at work. And He can be my protector. He can be uh, my lawyer, my advocate. He'll rally for me. And He'll carry me through this. Fifth, remember God's forgiveness. Luke 23 says what? It says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. If you're stuck with the issue of unforgiveness, remember the forgiveness that Christ gave to you and just work at exemplifying that. It may not come easy. But remember the process, right? I saw my son afar off in the train, but the the ticket had been purchased. And then I saw him going through a curve and we're closer now, but I knew the ticket had been purchased. And then when we arrived, we were reconciled. Because why? The ticket had been purchased. Draw on God's strength. Romans 8.26 says, In our weakness, the Spirit works in spite of ourselves. And so when we don't know what to pray, what? The Spirit intercedes for us with groanings. That the Spirit will jump in when we're in our weakness and He will help walk us through it. How do we overcome unforgiveness? Start there. Start there. But don't sit in it. Don't be happy to suck on lemons. Unless that brings you great joy. Okay? Don't be happy to suck on lemons. We're making lemonade out of lemons. The challenge of forgiveness this morning. Next week, we're going to be talking about something specific called a replacement plan for forgiveness. And we'll be finishing up this idea of reconciliation, how important that is to have real relationships. Let me pray and dismiss you this morning. As I do so, um, I want to thank you for your service to the Lord, for your efforts to Him, for your devotion to Him. I encourage you, excuse me, I encourage you to seek His face this week, to lay these things that we've been talking about before Him. I know they're not easy. These are some of the very real issues in our lives. But be like the gal that we saw in the video. Where something has started to define her and it started to take away her life and she never asked for it. And you know, what did God do? Because she focused on Christ. Because she focused on His forgiveness. Because she focused on how He made her new and how she is precious to Him. That whole attitude was changed. She has life abundant now. She's reconciled. She's reconciled. Let me pray for us this morning. Father, we turn to You with our hearts and with our understanding and our minds asking that You would give us the strength, the desire, the passion to think about those relationships that we currently have or that maybe are strained or estranged. And that we would practice these principles 
we would practice Christ's likeness. We would forgive our debtors as you have forgiven our debts. And that we would truly progress until there is true reconciliation. Father, thank you for the demonstration of your love through your Son, Jesus Christ, and how that answers all things. To you be the glory, Lord. Amen. Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen.